MSW Media. This episode is sponsored by Lumi, a doctor-developed, skin-safe, and pH-balanced deodorant. New customers can get $5 off a Lumi starter pack when going to lumideodorant.com and using code DAILYBEANS. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Today, ABC gets a hold of videotapes of Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis proffer sessions with the Fulton County DA. The Supreme Court adopts some ethics rules, kind of. The Secret Service opens fire on people attempting to break into a car outside Naomi Biden's home. Trump allies are pre-screening loyalists for civil service in a second term. Tim Scott drops out of the presidential race. And Democrats signal support for Speaker Johnson's plan to avert a government shutdown. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. It is good to be back. Uh, you know, when travel gets in the way, you're always there to, you know, to cover me, which is awesome. I appreciate that. I'll be there for you <laughs> when you travel into. Hey, how about that Gotham FC win? Oh, oh my, my God. Well, first of all, and, uh, you know, AG and I were texting. If you watch the game, it was heartbreaking to see. Mm. Megan get hurt. Megan Rapino got hurt in the first five minutes and you saw it on her face. Rose Lavelle went up to see if she was okay and you could read their lips and she's like, it, you knew she was out and something had happened in her foot. I'm not sure if it's her Achilles. I haven't read uh, the stories past. It was something in her foot or ankle. Um, but it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, this was a fairy tale ending for one of them, but this is not the way we wanted Megan to go out. But Allie Krieger had her fairy tale ending. Gotham FC beat uh, O.L. Reign two to one in the finals of the NWSL. And the end of the game was crazy pants. Um, oh. Yeah. The go- so the, <laughs> if that if, block out of the box. Oh, it was right? ridiculous. So the goalie's feet were in the box, but the ball hadn't crossed the plane. And I think it was Rose Lavelle was right there about to finish this and tie it up. Well, the goalie punched it out. And basically what happened is if you're a goalie and you touch the ball and it hasn't crossed the plane of the penalty box, you get a red card and you get thrown out of the game. So they had to, in the last, I don't know, 30 seconds of extra time, sub in a player that was already on the field to play goalie. A midfielder. A midfielder. Yeah. And just hope to God that the free kick didn't go anywhere near the goal at that point. And it didn't. FC won. It was pretty freaking awesome. So, And the thing about the the Gotham FC, if you follow the, the, the teams, they were last in the entire NWSL last year, and now they won the national championship. I mean, it's a it's a Cinderella story. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was. And congrats to Midge Purse, who oh. got uh, MVP. But I got to tell you, man, um, Lavelle was just amazing. Um, I, you know, I was watching her, her footwork, everything. I mean, Midge was great, obviously. I mean, you know, she's the MVP. Yeah. But man, that, that Lavelle, I, I had never seen really anything like that. Um, yeah. The, the, the work and the passing and the assists that she was pulling Rose off. Rose Lavelle. 
Yeah, she's yeah. a phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. She came alive in the World Cup in 2019 against the Netherlands in the finals and had a goal in that one. And you could just see everything in her gained this confidence that I hadn't seen really up until then, even though she was such a great player. But she just, I mean, she really did. It is, you know, someone's got to win, unfortunately, and someone's got to lose when it's a championship. But Rose really stepped up. She, I can't. She's got a big, long career ahead of her. Yeah, ab- absolutely incredible match. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. I know I talked about this a little bit yesterday uh, because we need to support women's sports. Later in the show today, uh, I'm going to be talking with host of Justice Matters, MSNBC contributor, former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner. So I'm looking forward to that. We do have a couple of quick hits before the hot notes. First up, the Supreme Court on Monday announced it has formally adopted what it calls a new code of conduct following allegations of ethics lapses. But the new rules say nothing about how complaints about ethics lapses would be enforced. An omission that Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who's been on this since forever, he seized upon it, saying this is a long overdue step by the justices, but a code of ethics is not binding unless there's a mechanism to investigate possible violations and enforce the rules. So, you know, I don't really see this as much of a a code of ethics. I mean, I think it's basically where we are now. It is found out they violated it. Well, well, no code, but they're doing sketchy shit, but nothing's being done. So here we are. Um, Thank you, AG. And just as he introduced his Canadian girlfriend to the world, which was bizarre, by the way, (laughs) Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina has dropped out of the presidential run. Now, the announcement Sunday night took many of Scott's aides and donors by surprise. Two people close to his campaign said they were not given advance notice. Even though he was becoming increasingly clear, Scott was facing an uphill struggle to break through the GOP primary. And we're not sure if he has also given up his girlfriend. We'll find out in the coming weeks. Well, if he's trying to go for VP, he's going to need that. So, you know, but what what kind of a dickhead doesn't even inform his staff? I mean, how how much do you have to loathe your staff or disrespect them to have them find out? when everybody else does. Just, oh my God. If, if, if Scott is the VP pick, the dog whistling that's going to go on in these, in the campaign from Trump, I'm, uh, I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll keep our eye on it for you. And we still have got what, 13 months to 12 months before um, the election next year. Still plenty of time to see what kind of shenanigans the Republicans can get into. Um, all right. We have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. As part of a plea deal, one of former President Donald Trump's attorneys has told prosecutors in Georgia that she was informed in the wake of the 2020 election that Donald Trump was not going to leave the White House, despite the fact he had already lost the election and most of his subsequent challenges. The revelation, along with others, came during a confidential interview the attorney Jenna Ellis had with Fulton County investigators. This was her proffer session, at least the first one. ABC News obtained portions of videos of the proffer sessions of both Ellis and Sidney Powell, two attorneys who aided Trump's efforts to overturn the election. The videos, for the first time, reveal details of what they've told law enforcement since agreeing to cooperate last month in the DA's election interference case. Ellis, in her proffer session, informed the prosecutors that senior Trump White House official Dan Scavino told her the boss would refuse to leave the White House despite losing the election and alluded to two other instances she said were relevant to prosecutors, but appeared to be prevented from disclosing those in the video portions obtained by ABC News due to attorney-client privilege, which hindered portions of her proffer. Sidney Powell, meanwhile, explained to prosecutors her plans for seizing voting machines nationwide 
and claimed that she frequently communicated with Trump during her efforts to overturn the 2020 election, though both now claim she was never his attorney. Of course, they had to do that so that he could pardon her client, Michael Flynn. Now, in that proffer session, Powell reiterated the false assertion that Trump won the election, but acknowledged in the video that she didn't know much about election law to begin with. Oh, my God. (laughs) But she was going to be the special counsel investigating election fraud. Quote, did I know anything about election law? No. That's what she told the Fulton County prosecutors. But I understand fraud from having been a prosecutor for 10 years (laughs) and knew generally hmm, what the fraud suit should be if the evidence showed what I thought it showed. Now, Ellis, back to Jenna, specifically noted during her proffer session that the alleged comment from Dan Scavino, who worked for Trump for decades at the Trump Organization before joining his first presidential bid, came in response to her apologizing over the lack of success with their election challenges in court, culminating with a Supreme Court loss that indicated their ability to challenge the election was essentially over. Quote, and he said to me in kind of an excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. Ellis said that of the alleged December 19th conversation with Scavino. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning Trump, and everyone understood the boss to mean Trump. The boss is not going to leave under any circumstances. We're just going to stay in power. Ellis continued. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. Wow. Now, this is December 19th. And that's before Donald Trump sent out the will be wild tweet. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of important. It's also after the safe harbor, um, you know, December 14th date or December 8th date. And then December 14th is when the electors met. Ellis continued. uh, Well, but we'll let's go back to Powell first. Powell described in her proffer interview being in close and repeated contact with President Trump at the time, claiming that she frequently received calls from Trump asking for updates on their efforts to overturn the election even as the Trump campaign publicly distanced itself from her in November 2020. Powell, in her proffer, recalled a conversation with Trump in which she expressed remorse to Trump that none of our cases were panning out. We were filing our cert petitions, but it wasn't looking good for anything to happen in his direction, Powell said of her legal challenges. He always wanted to know where things were in terms of finding fraud, meaning they didn't have it, that would change the election results. Powell also listed multiple meetings she had with Trump and his top advisors and the campaign, including her take on the now infamous meeting held at the White House in the Oval Office on December 18th. That was the knockdown drag out one in which Trump and his advisors allegedly discussed seizing voting machines as part of their effort to contest the election. And during her proffer, Powell said it was her belief that Trump wanted her to pursue the seizing of voting machines. This was at the direction of Donald Trump and explained to prosecutors how she would have done it. I'm very curious, by the way, as to how these tapes leaked to ABC. I assume the judge in this case, Judge McAfee, is also probably very curious um, and may also, you know, demand an answer. We'll keep you posted. We'll see what happens. Thank you so much, A.G. This next one's from Luke Barr at ABC. Now, the Metropolitan Police Department and Secret Service, they are investigating an agent-involved shooting after possibly three individuals attempted to break into a government car outside the Georgetown home of President Joe Biden's granddaughter, Naomi Biden. That's according to sources familiar with this situation. Now, while a Secret Service spokesperson didn't identify the protectee, he said Sunday night, just before midnight in the Georgetown neighborhood of Washington, D.C., the Secret Service agents encountered possibly three individuals breaking a window on a parked and unoccupied government vehicle. 
And I quote, during this encounter, a federal agent discharged a service weapon and it is believed no one was struck. The spokesperson said the offenders immediately fled the scene in a red vehicle and a regional lookout was issued in supporting units. Now, there was no threat to any protectees and the incident is being investigated by the D.C. Metropolitan Department, Police Department and the Secret Service. Now, it's unclear if Naomi Biden heard the commotion, but she was made aware of the incident afterward. And that's according to sources He said second district officers and MPD internal affairs were on scene assisting U.S. Secret Service regarding this incident. We have no further information at this time. That's from the Metropolitan Police Department. They said that in a statement. Motor vehicle thefts in Washington, by the way, are up 98 percent year to date, while thefts from vehicles are down slightly, about 1 percent. That's according to the latest MPD data. Naomi Biden, who happens to be 29, is the daughter of Hunter Biden and his ex-wife, Kathleen Boole, and she works as a lawyer at the firm of Arnold and Porter. And she's married to Peter Neal in a ceremony at the White House in November of 2022. So all of this is just a little bit scary that people think it's okay to do this kind of thing. So I'm glad no one was killed, but I'm also glad that no one that they were trying to hurt, probably, and break into the car was injured in any way. Yeah, and we'll find out more as details emerge. Uh, We don't know if they were specifically targeting Naomi Biden, or if this was just a coincidence. We'll find out more, I'm sure, as the days go by. And this is up from Axios. Former President Trump's allies are pre-screening the ideologies of thousands of potential foot soldiers as part of an unprecedented operation to centralize and expand his power at every level of the U.S. government if he wins in 2024. That's uh, according to officials involved in the effort. Hundreds of people are spending tens of millions of dollars to install a pre-vetted pro-Trump army of up to 54,000 loyalists across government to rip off the restraints imposed on the previous 46 presidents. The screening for ready-to-serve loyalists has already begun, driven in part by the artificial intelligence from tech giant Oracle, contracted for the project. Social media histories are already being plumbed. If Trump were to win, thousands of Trump-first loyalists would be ready for legal, judicial, defense, regulatory, and domestic policy jobs. His inner circle plans to purge anyone viewed as hostile to the hard-edged authoritarian-sounding plans he calls Agenda 47. The people leading these efforts aren't figures like Rudy Giuliani. They're smart, experienced people, many with very unconventional and elastic views of presidential power and traditional rule of law. The government-in-waiting is being orchestrated by the Heritage Foundation, well-funded Project 2025, which already has published a 920-page policy book from 400-plus contributors. Think of it as a transition team set in motion years in advance. Uh, this is undeniably a Trump-driven operation. The biggest tell? Johnny McEntee, one of Trump's closest White House aides and his most fervent internal loyal enforcer, is senior advisor. One of them. Uh, one of the senior advisors to Project 2025. You'll remember Johnny McEntee in charge of the presidential personnel office, hiding Schmirnoff ices, drafting memos to fire Mark Esper. That guy. Now, one of the most powerful architects, also Stephen Miller, top West Wing advisor for Trump administration and Nosferatu. Miller is charting an even harder line on legal and immigration policy than last time. Harder than last time. Harder than child separation policy. And he's doing that while he maps a White House return. He's uh, he's president of America First Legal, which vows to fight, quote, lawless executive actions and the radical left. He's such a horrible human being. 
Mm-hmm. Ugh, awful. All right. Last in this section, this one's from Scott Wong at NBC. Now, after trashing the idea of a two-step strategy to fund the government, it seems House Democrats signaled on Monday they're open to backing Speaker Mike Johnson's plan, significantly lowering the threat of a painful shutdown at the end of the week. Now, with a handful of conservatives rebelling against the stopgap funding bill, it means Johnson must get help from Democrats to get it through the chamber. On Monday afternoon, House Democratic leaders said they're considering supporting the Johnson strategy. And across the Capitol, Johnson's plan got a bipartisan boost from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, suggesting the continuing resolution, or what we're going to call CR through the rest of the story, will likely cruise through the upper chamber if it can first pass out of the House. Now, the lower chamber plans to take up the bill on Tuesday. Shortly after Johnson unveiled his laddered CR over the weekend, the White House panned it as an extreme and unserious proposal that would lead to more GOP chaos and dysfunction shortly after the party's three-week speaker debacle. But on Monday, President Joe Biden would not commit to vetoing Johnson's latter CR if it came to his desk. He said, I'm not going to make a judgment on what I'd veto and what I'd sign. Let's see what they come up with. I like that answer, by the way. It's a remarkable reversal, by the way, for for Democrats. Just four days ago, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, he ripped this laddered CR concept, saying neither Democrats nor the American public could understand it. And he said the notion of a laddered CR is another extreme right-wing policy joyride that's reckless and would only crash and burn the federal government. Again, that's from Jeffries. He said that in his weekly news conference on Thursday. He said it's a non-starter. But Johnson's proposal, unveiled over the weekend, is a so-called, and I quote, clean CR, with no spending cuts, no controversial policy riders, and a lot of those riders, by the way, had to do with trans people, a significant concession to Democratic demands. Thank God. Now, the two-step approach would extend funding for part of the government, including agriculture, transportation, and veterans affairs, through January 19th, and it would also fund defense and other remaining portions of the government through February 2nd. In a letter to colleagues on Monday, Jeffrey said Congress's central mission is to keep the government funded and that top Democratic leaders are carefully evaluating the proposal set forth by Republican leadership and discussing it with members. Now, it's clear that Johnson will need to rely on Democrats to pass his first major legislation, giving his razor-thin majority and the mounting GOP defections. Now, already at least eight House conservatives have said they will vote no on Johnson's plan, and many more could join that group. After Rep-elect Gabe Amo, who's a Democrat from Rhode Island, is sworn in on Monday, by the way, Johnson can only afford to lose three Republicans on his funding bill. Well, in addition to delaying a fight over spending cuts until next year, the Johnson CR does not include other politically prickly issues like aid for Israel, Ukraine or Taiwan, humanitarian aid for Palestinians and others, as well as border security provisions. Those fights will be punted until after Thanksgiving. It does, however, extend the farm bill through September 30th, and which is a big sweetener for rural lawmakers and Democrats who like federal food and nutrition programs for low-income families. Now, the two-part CR has been conceived by members of the far-right Freedom Caucus, who see the staggered funding cliffs as a way to put pressure on Congress to reach deals on individual appropriations bills. But conservatives blasted Johnson's plan for a variety of reasons, including that it didn't include spending cuts or border provisions. An early test for Johnson's proposal, that's going to come on Tuesday when House takes up the rule for the CR. Now, rules which govern how legislation comes to the floor 
They're typically passed by the majority party. But in this case, Johnson's going to need some Democrats to pass the rule. More than 50 Democrats helped Republicans pass the rule on legislation to raise the debt ceiling in May. A GOP aide said leadership is also considering advancing the CR, and I quote, under suspension, which would require two-thirds support of the whole House if they don't have the GOP votes to pass it alone. Now, senators had been devising a plan B to keep the government open, but it now appears they might not need to. Schumer announcing Monday evening that the Senate was, and I quote, pausing on our plans to allow the House to move first. So we're going to see what happens there, see how many more defect, how many Democrats come on board. And I'm just glad that these little uh, addendums, if you will, these riders that were attached that are really, they were targeting the trans community. The Democrats are like, fuck you. Yeah. And I really wish that they would sort of position this the way that it is, that the Republicans are caving to the to the Democrats demands, meaning you can't have any spending cuts and we won't have these, you know, weird provisions or poison pills on this bill. And it seems like Mike Johnson is is kind of caving to that. So we will keep you posted. Um, But yeah, that's what I thought about the laddered CR too. like these multiple dates. They're just adding more instances of us coming toward going off a cliff. So we'll we'll see what happens Um, and uh, we'll keep you posted. All right. Stick around because right after this break, I've got a really incredible discussion with Glenn Kirshner of Justice Matters, former federal prosecutor and our friend. You don't want to miss it. And then we'll do the good news. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Introducing Lumi deodorant, deodorant that's different. It's better, better than any other. It's invented by an OBGYN. Lumi isn't just for your underarms. It's a full body solution. It's pH optimized formula powered by mandelic acid proactively prevents odor across your entire body for up to 72 hours. It's safe to use from your pits to your feet. And Lumi is the first whole body deodorant that's clinically proven to keep you fresher than soap and water alone. First time I used Lumi, I was happily impressed by how well it protected me from body odor. I used it on my entire body and it works great every time. I recommend it to all my friends and family, and I guarantee it will work for you too. And it's going to make some incredible holiday gifts this season. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, and free shipping. New customers can get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code DAILYBEANS at lumideodorant.com. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next $30 purchase, too. That's Lumi Deodorant, L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com with code DAILYBEANS for new customers to get $5 off a Lumi starter pack and returning customers to get $5 off a $30 purchase. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my friend, host of Justice Matters. It's an incredible podcast. You can get wherever you get your podcasts. It's also on YouTube. Former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, hello. Hey, AG. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well, my friend. Uh, But I was disturbed this weekend by some rhetoric from the former president, the disgraced former president, 91 felony counts, former guy, during his speech at a New Hampshire rally. But what stood out to me and why I wanted to speak to you was because he again violated what would be the gag order, the limited gag order placed by Judge Chutkin in the D.C. federal case by going after Jack Smith and his family and his wife. And right now, that that limited gag order is stayed by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals pending a hearing coming up on November 20th. And it's just so, so dangerous. These, Even though these are short administrative pauses, 
Uh, but I just feel like anybody else wouldn't be given this deference. And I and I kept coming back to you and your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, and folks don't have to take your word for the assertion that anybody else wouldn't be given this deference. They don't have to take my word for that assertion. I was sitting in court when I heard Judge Chutkin say, and this is damn near a verbatim quote, if any other defendant who was, was on release in a felony trial, pending trial, said that the prosecutor handling his, his case is a deranged thug, he would be in pre-trial detention. He would be revoked on release and detained pending trial. Now, she articulated the unequal application of the law that we are experiencing when it comes to Donald Trump. You know, I was encouraged by the gag order originally because I thought maybe it has some hope of tamping down Donald Trump's dangerous, indeed violent rhetoric by which he endangers judges, court staff, prosecutors, their families, witnesses, jurors, and anybody else who's involved in the endeavor of trying to hold him accountable for his crimes. But as you say, A.G., the, the gag order has been on again, off again, on again, off again. It's presently on what the appellate court calls an administrative pause, which says nothing about the merits of it, whether it is a lawful and constitutional gag order or not. And there's, there's a hearing, an oral argument set in the appellate court on the propriety of the gag order. Uh, it's going to be on November 20th. I'll be in the courtroom watching that argument as well. But here is where I am. In fact, last night I was so damn frustrated that my Justice Matters video was me venting my frustration and saying, given what Donald Trump said about Jack Smith and his wife and his family and, and their hatred of him, I think he said the wife and the family hate him on a, on, on, to a, a level of a 15 on a scale of one to 10. All I could hear in my, my mind, A.G., was Donald Trump posting on January 6th, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what he should have done. What did that immediately inspire, indeed, incite? The angry mob to start hunting for Mike Pence and chanting, hang Mike Pence. Donald Trump is doing it all over again. We've seen this movie before. I now maintain that we have moved beyond gag order territory, and we are now squarely in heartland pretrial detention territory, because what your viewers might know, I know we talk about these legal concepts all the time. When somebody is on release in a felony case, Donald Trump is on release in four felony cases, two federal and two state. And there's clear and convincing evidence, that's the evidentiary standard, that that person presents a danger to others, is a danger to the community. The law provides that person should be detained pending trial. And Judge Chutkin said as much. And yet nobody seems to be willing to order him detained pending trial. That is a horrific miscalculation by our institutions of government, in my opinion. And, you know, I think in general, I think Judge Chutkin is an excellent jurist. What do you think her reasons are? Because she hasn't given any uh, as to why she is showing deference to defendant Donald Trump that she wouldn't show to any other defendant in her own words. Why? Why? Yeah. So here's why. When a judge puts somebody on pretrial release, if they directly violate one of the conditions of release, like the gag order, which is temporarily not in effect, it's stayed, then it's really 
within her authority and discretion to sanction the person for violating the condition of release up to and including pretrial detention, revoking them on release. Here's where we are, though, A.G. I don't think Judge Chutkin wants to do it sua sponte, in other words, on her own. I think it's a much more difficult call for a judge to revoke on release a former president of the United States than it would be if the prosecutors came to her, filed a motion, and made the evidentiary showing that there is clear and convincing evidence that he poses a danger to the community, then all she has to do is hold the hearing, determine whether the prosecution has met that evidentiary burden of clear and convincing evidence, and grant the government's motion, the prosecutor's motion, to detain him pending trial. That is ordinarily the way the system works. It's unusual, even in the regular course of business in the criminal justice system, for judges to, on their own, start ordering people into detention. They ordinarily wait for the prosecutors to file a motion seeking that. Yeah, and it seems like while special prosecutor, special counsel Jack Smith seems to follow the law when it comes to indictments, he has been very reticent to avoid having a 1A fight, a First Amendment fight with this former president. Uh, Even in in some of the other courtrooms we've seen, you know, where he has not even asked for bail conditions uh, and the judge was like, maybe we should have some bail conditions here. And and then the DOJ is like, "Okay, yeah, great idea. It seems like neither Jack Smith nor the judge want to be the one to to go forward with this. Why is that? I don't know. It's Jack Smith's responsibility. And I do not spend a lot of time criticizing Jack Smith because there is not much to criticize. You know, I was a federal prosecutor for 30 years and I have watched closely every move he's made that is in the public record. And I will say many of my former homicide prosecutors when I was chief of homicide at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office are on Jack Smith's team. What I can assure people, A.G., is we the people have some of the absolute best prosecutors in the country pursuing justice for the crimes that Donald Trump perpetrated on we the people. Rest assured of that. But the two areas of disagreement I have with Jack Smith are, one, that he has not filed a motion to recuse Judge Cannon. Win, lose, or draw, A.G., that should be litigated in the harsh light of day so we the people can not only see what the evidence is supporting the conclusion that her impartiality might reasonably be questioned. It's a low bar because there are hundreds of federal judges whose impartiality cannot reasonably be questioned. And it would have to go up to the 11th Circuit, assuming, of course, Judge Cannon refused to remove herself from the case. And then we would have an authoritative and hopefully a reliable and supportable conclusion from the 11th Circuit, either that she should be removed from the case or she should not be. But at least that decision wasn't made behind closed doors. It needs to be litigated. So that's one disagreement I have with the way Jack Smith has choose to proceed. And the other is that he has not asked that Donald Trump be detained pending trial because the evidence supports it. And because any other defendant whose name was not Donald Trump would be sitting their butt in a jail cell in pretrial detention right now. Yeah. And you you brought up Judge Cannon. Something happened over the weekend that really chilled me to my core, but hasn't really been talked about. I think it was Maggie Haberman that was reporting to either CNN or MSNBC, one of the two, 
saying that um, Team Trump has, has told her that they love Judge Aileen Cannon because they believe she benefits Donald Trump. And when I heard that, I mean, she's made a lot of, you know, not, not notwithstanding the special master fight that went up and got overturned by the 11th Circuit. But so, so far, it's been delays here and there, nothing overly egregious. But when the defendant, the criminal defendant is saying that the judge he appointed is in his pocket, that seems to me, I don't, it just took me by, I'm not a lawyer, but that seems like something I would want to file a notice of recusal about that particular thing. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I don't know what the source of that reporting is. Obviously it's not any kind of a formal court filing. I don't know how it came to Maggie Haberman's attention. Um, but you know, I, I, I am not I am not sure that a litigant saying I think the judge is favorable to us is enough to support not not standing alone is enough to support a motion to recuse by the opponent, by the prosecutor in this case. So it's interesting. It's another data point that we can add to the lack of impartiality mix, perhaps. But I hear, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard both prosecutors and defense attorneys opine that a particular judge is good for one side or the other or which is different from the judges in our pocket. That's a whole different, you know, uh, a whole different animal. But, you know, I'm not I guess I'm I'm less impressed by that kind of reporting about what team Trump is chatting about. I understand. Yeah, I think I think what caught me was that because he appointed her she was going to be more beneficial to him. Well, and can I tell you this, A.G., I don't know why we refuse to exercise any common sense. If there was the kind of relationship between a judge and a defendant over whose case that judge is presiding, if there was any other kind of relationship where that, that judge owed their incredibly prestigious job to the very defendant over whose case that judge was presiding, that judge would remove themselves as they should in accordance with the federal law 10 times out of 10. I think I think it's a real lack of common sense of the institutions of government writ large that we're letting a judge that was appointed by the defendant to life tenure on the federal court preside over that former president's case. That is at a minimum uh, an absolute appearance of conflict. And I think what we are seeing in her rulings over time, it may actually be an actual conflict, not just an appearance of conflict. Yeah. And there's going to be other opportunities as well as the SEPA hearings start to get underway in full force um, down in Florida. And we'll, we'll keep following that. And I know you will, too, on Justice Matters, which is such an indisposable, invaluable podcast uh, and uh, YouTube channel. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. I appreciate that. Everybody make sure to follow Glenn everywhere because it's just the information you put out is so valuable. Thank you so much. Thanks, A.G. Great to be with you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news.
Good news. Good and news. if you have any good news or confessions, corrections, I love corrections, uh, especially pronunciation corrections <laughs> when you tell me what town you live in. Uh, if you want to give a shout out to a loved one or a small business in your area, if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area. If you want me to guess any kind of animal at all, just send it. Dana and I can tell you probably what kind of animal it is. That, maybe that'd be fine. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> and then we could get down to the breeds, um, you know, but who knows? Uh, baby pictures, happy place, holiday photos, anything you want to send to us, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Dr. Liv, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and DG. You are amazing. I want to share both a good news and a shit kid say. Trigger warning for sexual assault. Despite having experienced numerous SA as a young woman, I still listen through trigger warnings. The other day when describing that asshat ambassador, I realized that the years of therapy and trauma cognitive behavioral therapy have made me more resilient and not actually being triggered, rather just sympathetic. For anyone struggling with trauma, I want to send you hope. Your experience is valid and you're not alone and it can get better. For shit kids say, I was around four years old when my mother lost her granny, not realizing that my granny was her mom, I tried to comfort her with the words, don't be sad, mom. You can borrow my granny. Oh. <laughs> she thanked me and started laughing, but never told me why. And it took me a few years to get there. Now she herself is a granny and the story still warms her heart. For pet tax, an adorable old man cat that I got to be the seat for a few weekends ago. No. Look at this tuxedo boy. So sweet. Little floof pause. Message. No, no. That was a wonderful submission. Thank you very, very much. And th the outlook is such a beautiful message, especially for other survivors. Okay, this is from, I love this. This is from one tired teacher in Virginia rejoicing in Dems in the House and Senate. <laughs> no pronouns given. I think. Yeah. Mm. And it says, Hello. I'm a newbie to the beans, but can't start my day without you. I have to admit. I write this knowing this is a long shot. Hail Mary, ask of you and the Beans listeners. Our union is the first in Virginia to participate in collective bargaining for educators and staff in our school district. Our, quote, fair contract now collective bargaining ends December 1st, and we're facing a Goliath. Our majority Democratic school board has failed to support our union. Prince William Educators Association, otherwise PWEA, by not bargaining in good faith. And now we've been asking for a duty-free lunch in our contract, which is in our district's policy, but isn't guaranteed to many of our special education teachers who often have to lunch with their students because they have no aides. Now, who would be against guaranteeing teachers a duty-free lunch? Our majority Democratic school board. Including this in our contract would hold administrators accountable for guaranteeing teachers a 30-minute duty-free lunch. Oh, by the way, we don't get paid lunches. So teachers working through lunch are doing it for free. That is two and a half hours of free labor a week. It would be great if listeners could support us by contacting our school board, demanding they include a duty-free lunch in our contract. If you'd like to support lunches for teachers, contact info will be in the show notes, by the way. So, uh, you know, listen, when we do a back call for our listeners, they show up. So I have no doubt these phones are going to get flooded. Yep. Yep. And that is going to be the info is, uh, is going to be in the show notes. Thank you very much. One tired teacher in Virginia and congratulations on taking the house and the Senate there in Virginia. Uh, next up from Mary, no pronouns regarding listener Andy, who lost his partner of 22 years. 
My friend Kevin Campbell lost his partner of 22 years in 2021. He's a musician living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and has just released an album called Stages. It's bluesy and honest and cathartic. Grief is complicated and sharing our vulnerability is scary. Andy's story resonated with me and I'm sure it did with many listeners. He's on the socials and music is on the streaming services at Kevin Campbell. Uh, You could try kevincampbell.squarespace.com for more information. Mary, thank you. Look at the pod pet taxes, my dog, Jedi, purebred mutt. Jedi is adorable. (laughs) Look at that face. That's a man face and a dog. It looks like a Wookiee. He's so cute. There's so much soul in that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. This is from Kelly T. Pronoun she and her. I recognize this name. Hello, bodacious badass beans. This is a belated but heartfelt thank you for shouting out my small business a couple of months ago. Wow. The beans community really came out in full force, and I appreciate it more than you could know. As a refresher, I have t-shirts that reflect issues that weigh on my heart. A portion of the profits go toward relevant nonprofits. The good news is that because of your help, I'll be able to send a check to Queer Space Collective at the end of this year. This message is to thank you for the shout out, but also to let you know that AG and DG are the inspiration behind my latest shirt, picture attached. I hope I've done you proud because I literally can't function without the two of you to start my morning. Last time I attached a picture of my neighbor Ewok, but this time I'm including the love of my life, oh, who passed away several years ago. His name is Rourke, and his breed is probably pretty evident. Don't let this cute, cuddly demeanor fool you. If he could talk, he would sound and act like Billy Idol. I always <laughs> was a sucker for the bad boys. Anyway, the two of you make the world a better place, and I'm eternally grateful for you. Kelly. Now, picture one is AG and DG tribute, which says, um, yep, if women had the confidence of a mediocre white man, <laughs> we'd rule this bitch. That's good artwork, too. And is, I love it. The second picture. Oh, by the way, you can see these shirts at bleedingheartstees.etsy.com. Bleedingheartstees, T-E-E-S, just dot Etsy.com. And the second one is the pup, Rourke. And oh, it looks hi, like we Rourke. have a what the mutt. Oh, all right. Did she say it should be pretty evident? I think so. Is it a... Uh-oh. Uh, I don't know what Rourke is. <laughs> um, Old English Sheepdog? Maybe? Um, Let's go with that. Oh, um, I don't know. Is he a... a, a that's not a schnauzer of sorts? I have no idea. His his nose looks like it might be a it's schnauzer. It's a purebred and it should be evident. Is he is he the is he the uh, uh the beardy collie? Is he the beardy collie guy? Maybe. maybe. I don't know. It's hard to tell. He's beautiful though. Let's see. Ah, bearded collie. Yeah. There you go. Look at that sweet baby. Cool shirt. Thank you. Yeah, bleedingheartstees.etsy.com. Thank you so much. Uh, and next up from uh, Anonymous, she and her. Quick correction, my dear ladies. And yes, I remembered the compliment sandwich. First off, I love your dynamic together. I adore hearing the friendship you share actually come through. Oh, I love you, my friend. Correction. I almost choked on my coffee hearing AG say Skagit. <laughs> that lovely area is pronounced Skagit? Skagit? And uh, as to the other hilarious one, Okanagan. Um, that is one of the most beautiful areas and is pronounced Okanagan. Okay. Okanagan? Oak-anagan. Oh, yeah. Okanagan. Okanagan. There you go. 
we have all sorts of fun names out here. Loved hearing some of my areas. Skagit. Skagit. <laughs> Although not happy for the reason why. Um, love hearing some of my areas, though not happy for the reason why. Yeah, definitely. Lastly, AG, I'm so proud to see you succeed. And Dana, as a fellow lesbo, I adore the work you do for the HRC. Y'all are the best. Thank you. P.S. I grew up reading Busy Town books by Richard Scarry, and there was a small gold bug that was hidden on each page. Every morning when I hear Dana say, and I'm Dana Goldberg, I repeat out loud, I'm Dana Goldbug. Oh my gosh, how cute. <laughs> that's adorable. Anonymous, that's so sweet. And I'm Dana and Goldbug. So the compliment sandwich that she's talking about, if you're, if you're a new Beans listener and you haven't sent in... Um, a correction. I made it. So if there's a form you have to fill out and in order to send us a correction, you first have to say something nice and you have to end with something nice. And then in the middle, you can put your correction. <laughs> Which by the way, <laughs> this you is can't... how people should communicate in everyday life. Yeah. You aren't allowed to send the form unless you do that. Yeah. Well, I learned this in multiple, multiple leadership courses and, and, you know, trainings and stuff like that. Like always, you know, give that constructive criticism between two compliments. So uh, anyway, thanks for that. Oh my goodness. All right. This one's from Anonymous as well, but the pronoun is she. Hello, ladies. I've been listening for about a month now and I'm in love with your show. The current state of affairs in our country makes me an anxious mess sometimes. Same girl. And I'm very glad to have found a way I can consume the news and have it not stress me out quite so much. My good news, I'm a second grade teacher in Georgia in a Title I school with a very large concentration of immigrants and refugees in our population. I've had the joy of working in this community for five years now, and a few nights ago, the most special thing happened. We had an event going on at the school where kids could come up and play educational games, get snacks, etc. And I've had one of my students in my class since last year. I taught first grade then, and I've gotten to know the family. They came out, and mom asked me if I was busy. I started to say yes. I was hoping to run one of the games. She had an envelope and just said, we just got these today, and she, my student, wanted to come and take a picture with you. Now, they were certificates showing that they were now officially United States citizens. Not only did I take a picture with my student, but also with me and all of her kids. Yes, I definitely cried. It was such an impactful moment for me. You hear teachers talk about that moment that they knew they'd made a difference. Now, after nine years, this was the moment for me. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. And Anonymous, thank you for taking the time. Here's a picture of Star, my brat princess Corgi, whom I love and adore. Why can't we get a what the mutt on like Corgi princess? Because I would have <laughs> I nailed this one. <laughs> totally. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. And, you know, I, I encourage anyone, if you're ever in the D.C. area, the public is allowed to attend naturalization ceremonies at the courthouse, the Prettyman Courthouse, where all the historic shit's going down right now. Um, and so that is something to do. If you're in D.C. and you're like, what is something to do? After you go to all the museums and all that stuff and you walk around and see all the sites and the memorials, it's so moving to, to go to one of these naturalization ceremonies at the Prettyman Courthouse. It's truly incredible. I really encourage everybody to do it. It's open to the public, like I said. Um, and so are the trials. So, you know, but the lines are pretty, they're limited. The amount of space is limited. So uh, get there early. But those naturalization ceremonies go on all the time. And it's just incredible. So I, I feel exactly what you're saying here. Uh, anonymous. So thank you for that submission. And thanks to everybody for all of your submissions. I love these. I love the pet tax. I love it all. You can send all of your good news and anything you want to send us really to, by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. 
Do you have any uh, final thoughts for today, my friend? Just a quick one. I was doing a gala in, um, where was I? Seattle. And I had a Beans listener come up and just just say hi afterwards. Give me a hug. They were volunteering with the Human Rights Campaign. They're in the military. And this person, I just was so lovely. And I'm so grateful when the listeners come up and say hi. And so I wanted to keep you anonymous, but just know that it made my night. If you're listening, and I, I think you probably are because she turns in every week. But um, And again, thank you for your service to this country. And she just wanted to send love to you as well, IG. Apparently, we, we're we getting her through it. We're getting her through it. So definitely, I've got a, a gig in Boston at the HRC Gala this weekend. It's my last human rights campaign gala of the year. I have one more gala after that. But if you are in Boston and you happen to be at the event and you're a Beans listener, come say hi. It makes my night. It truly does. Yeah, absolutely incredible uh, community that we have here. And um, it's like, you know, when everybody anybody asks me like my greatest accomplishment and it's it's that i know y'all yeah truly we got good people we got good community yep it's brilliant y'all are amazing so thank you thank you thanks for holding each other up and uh, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow so until then please take care of yourself take care of each other take care of the planet take care of your mental health take care of your family vote blue over q take everyone you know with you i've been ag and i've been dg and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, 
I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.